The World Series is set, but it's a matchup no one ever expected. Both home teams lose a Game 7 in their building. Which one was worse, the Astros or Phillies? I'll preview Diamondbacks Rangers as Game 1 in Arlington commences tomorrow night. A Niners speed bump or a major concern as they've lost two in a row and will be without Brock Purdy? I'll take a peek at Week 9 in college football. The NBA is underway as I'll touch on a couple of things there. And don't look now, but the Boston Bruins are up to their old regular season tricks. Speaking of which, Halloween is around the corner. I'll serve up a few treats as the latest edition has arrived. It's all coming up. But first, this message. Jay Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the Jay Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. Especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, alright? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits as we get ready for a Halloween weekend or really early next week. Well, you know, there's going to be a lot of costume parties, a lot of ghosts and goblins out there. And even though it's still a little bit premature, but just like anything else in life, Everybody wants to celebrate these holidays, it seems like months in advance, so guess what? I may have a few tricks, I may have a few treats as we get ready to usher in the holiday season, but to get your sports fix, you've come to the right place to listen to it all, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And it was this time last week that I was getting into this NLCS and ALCS that obviously has been completed here early on this week. And my first thought as I talked into this microphone was that the possibility of a sweep in the National League and maybe a five-game series considering that the Astros got off the mat in Game 4 last Wednesday. And even though I thought the Astros would be heard from, and they certainly were, But then the Phillies, I thought, would have been a formality that the series, in all likelihood, would have not gone back to Philadelphia, that it probably would have ended up in a five-game series. But as we all know, it did go back to the city of brotherly love. And what had unfolded in Game 6 and Game 7 were beyond anyone's imagination or expectation. And that's where I'm going to begin. Because yes, I could talk about the Astros, and I will definitely do so, but because the Philly Diamondback Game 7 was on Tuesday night, 
and to witness what had unfolded at Citizens Bank over the course of those final two games. As I talk about this now, and this is well more than, I guess, what, 40 hours since this has taken place, I'm still in shock. If I'm a Philly fan, I am sick to the pit of my stomach. This is one that I won't be able to shake off until the Phillies win a World Series. I don't care if they go to the NLCS next year and face the Diamondbacks again and beat them. They would have to win a World Series in order to wipe this stench away for a Philly team that had so many expectations, especially after beating the Braves the way they did. And then to go up 2-0 in this series. All right, you're going to lose the game three as you did. Brandon fought pitch well. The Diamondbacks eked out a 2-1 win. Okay, fine. If there's going to be one game that's going to haunt the organization, the manager, Rob Thompson, and even the closer, Craig Kimbrell, is going to be what took place in game four. You had a 5-3 lead in the eighth inning, and they spit it up. And if they would have won that game, and with the performance that you got from Zach Wheeler in game five, that series would have been long over, and we would have been talking about Texas, Philadelphia, game one tomorrow night, instead of what we saw there, both on Monday and Tuesday night in Philadelphia. And that game... One more time is going to have the manager, the GM, and every player on that roster, and especially Craig Kimbrell, tossing and turning deep into the night, deep into this winter, until they convene for pitches and catches sometime in the middle of February. That was just as bad as a loss, and we talked about that on Monday's podcast, but now let's get to what took place there on Monday and Tuesday where the Diamondbacks jumped out to that 3-0 lead there in the second inning with the back-to-back home runs, Tommy Pham. And then you had Evan Longoria get the other RBI in that inning, where Pham and, off the top of my head, I can't remember, was it Gabriel Moreno who got the other home run, or was Lourdes Guriel, excuse me. Got my players all mixed up here. So anytime that the team that's on the road that is the underdog, when you put up a three-spot like that, the last thing you want to do is give the other team a crooked number or even just a single digit because that would build momentum from the standpoint of getting the crowd, obviously getting the team back in the game, and even though the Phillies did answer with another run, but the pitching was stout, you were able to have a guy like Merrill Kelly who got pulled from the game way too early. He pitched five solid innings. He struck out both Trey Turner and Bryce Harper to end the inning, and you would have thought that he would have been granted another go-around to at least extend his start and also give the bullpen a bit of a blow. I understand they had a day off the day before, but for Kelly to be pulled from there, and that's just baseball in 2023, I didn't like it, but they were able to get away with it considering the performance that they got from their bullpen, and they were able to tack on a couple more runs. They end up winning the game 5-1, to one, and that's Diamondback baseball in a nutshell. They're not a power-hitting team. They're not a team that's going to take you yard, unlike the Phillies, who have been a bully offense, as we saw here, and I'll get to them in a second. But for Arizona to now, even the series, and with all the pressure in the world and a Game 7 on the Phillies, Aaron Nola wasn't able to deliver another stupendous performance, as we've seen throughout this postseason with Nola, and arguably could have been his last start in a Philly uniform. But to have Ranger Suarez go up against Brandon Fott again, a guy that a lot of people aren't really too familiar with. But Fott in his four innings did pitch well. The Diamondbacks were able to 
push a run there where the Phillies answered back. And then even when the Phillies got that extra run on the Bryson Stott double to make it 2-1, and you thought to yourself right then and there, this is where the Diamondbacks could be in a bit of a chokehold. And what did they do, unlike what the Phillies did in Game 6? The top half of the next inning, they scored two runs to make it 3-2. And not to say that that was the turning point, but I'm sure that eased whatever tension that was about to be in the top of that inning, the Diamondbacks were able to exhale. Where the Phillies weren't able to shut them down in that top half of the 6th, I believe, and then to have the Phillies come and answer back to see whether or not they could pad onto that 2-1 lead, but instead, they went back into the dugout middle of the 6th, trailing again. And after that was opportunities that were missed, where you had that 7th inning, 1st and 2nd at 3-2, and you had both Trey Turner and Bryce Harper come up, where Turner popped up meekly to center, and then Harper gave it a ride to deep left center, but it ended up dead on the warning track, and pretty much the hopes of the Philly season and this NLCS went right out the window. Because they meekly went three up, three down in the eighth, and in the ninth inning to where the Diamondbacks became one of the more unlikely National League Championship pennant winners in quite some time. This is not the Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, Luis Gonzalez led Diamondbacks of 2001 when they won their only championship. And for the Diamondbacks, you have to give them all the praise in the world. A team that stumbled and really backed into the postseason when you think about it. They lost their last four games of the season. Got swept by the Astros at home. Thankfully, the Cubs and even the Giants, although they were done by then, and the Reds also faltered down the stretch. So one more time, the Diamondbacks, you could say they earned it, but because they got into a four-game losing streak coming into this postseason, they, for all intents and purposes, backed into this postseason. And we saw what they've done here over the first three rounds. Two sweeps, Milwaukee, LA, and for the Phillies to win in seven games, not only winning those back two in Philadelphia, but to win four of the last five after getting blown out 10 nothing in game two? You couldn't add any more superlatives to the job that they've done here. Absolutely remarkable. And then the flip side of that, based on what I just said, 5-3, where they led 5-0, 10-0 in game two with all those home runs, blowing game four the way they did. And then even with a 3-2 series lead to come home and gag and only score three runs in two games, I can't stress it enough. If I'm a Philly fan, I would not have slept a wink. This one is going to sting for quite some time. And yes, they may turn the page and say, all right, on to Eagles football. But uh uh-uh, this one does not sit well based on everything that I just said. You destroyed the Braves for the second year in a row. And you had an 84-win team come into your building in Game 6 and Game 7 where you hadn't lost a postseason game at home throughout the first three rounds, up until Monday night. And you lost the last two. Do I even need to say any more? And then when you go to the American League, and you look at what the Astros, and how they also gagged, and 
they may have a built-in excuse to say that they've been awful at home, as we've talked about here over the last couple of weeks. And you want to say that? And I said this on Monday. For a team that was unable to beat the Rangers in the first three games in their building, why would I all of a sudden think that they're going to win a Game 7? And knowing that they had the cloud of the 2019 World Series hanging over them. And for them to not only not show up, especially their pitching staff, Christian Javier, etc., but they didn't even give their fans to get comfortable or to even get a feel for the game because it was over pretty much before it started. When you're 8-2 in the fourth inning and the final score is 11-4, what is there to cheer about? And yes, I understand they had Max Scherz on the ropes at 4-2, but they weren't able to capitalize. And then after that, that's when they scored the four runs and blew the game open. And after that, you're counting outs if you're a Texas Ranger fan. And then Dusty Baker, who goes off into retirement, as was reported yesterday, and he won his championship, had a great little run there where he made two World Series and obviously the three LCSs. But Dusty's had enough. Let him go off into the sunset. I'm sure the Hall of Fame will come a knocking one day, and that is it. But this Astro loss also goes in the annals of what took place in 2019. And this is an organization that's had so much success, as I talked about on Monday. We know about the World Series that they've been to four in the last seven years. We know about their World Series titles, the LCS appearances, etc. But this stains, to me, what happened in not only 2019, but also winning a World Series last year. Not to say that that's forgotten or not to say that gets overlooked, But it does overshadow the fact that your win against the Phillies last year now gets marred by this series where you had a classic and epic Game 5, especially the ending there with the Altuve home run, who is symbolic of this entire Astro run from 2015 on. And to think that they weren't able to get one game at home? That has to sting. And I don't care if you're the most optimistic Astro fan to say, ah, well, that's all right. We didn't win a World Series last year. It's been a great run. No, you should have been in the World Series this year. That Game 5 performance should have propelled you to think, guys, remember what happened in 2019? How we came back from Washington and we stung up the joint that we couldn't even muster up a rally or even a run to win a game and become a champion? Let's not do this again here against our in-state rivals to get a chance to go to the World Series, to defend our crown, etc. I talk about the championship DNA all the time. Where was it in those final two games? Yes, you could say Texas was ready for this. Yes, you could say that the Astros were terrible at home. Yes, you could say that Adoles Garcia was on a mission. We could talk about all that. But that gets thrown out the window knowing that they did win that World Series last year. And knowing that they were on a run where they were just one game away after that come-from-behind Game 5 win in Arlington. But no, to me, that gets washed by the board. Yes, last year, you could still look back and say, wow, we finally got a World Series other than the 2017 year where we cheated. But let's face it, that one is going to be another one that it's going to take a while to get the dirt off your shoulder if you're an Astro fan. And now, it begs the question, which loss was worse to the organization and the fan base? The Astro one or the Philly one? I guess you'd have to say the Philly one only because 
of everything that I just mapped out, the 2-0 series lead, up 3-2, unbeatable at home, and then they lose? And even though the Astros, again, I could see if the Astros had won all their home games in the postseason up until that point, and then they go home, similar to the Phillies, and then lose those two games, That's that would even sting more. But to me, it's 1-1A. The Astro one is right below that Philly one. I don't care how you slice it. I don't care how you want to dissect it. The Philly one is worse, but the Astro one is not that far behind. And now you have a World Series that MLB, I don't care how they want to spin it, but try selling this one to America. Would you rather see Bryce Harper and Zach Wheeler pitching in a game one or maybe even a game two since he pitched there on Tuesday night? Or do you want to see Corbin Carroll, Zach Gallen starting game one in Arlington? There's no if hands, buts, babies about it. You'd rather see the star power there than the team that's nondescript that you couldn't even pick out of a lineup. And that's not a knock. It's just a fact. But the Diamondbacks are here. And they deserve it. All the credit in the world to them. You cannot knock them one bit. But they're going to go up against a Texas Ranger team that I'm not going to say they're on a mission. But you know that after winning those two games in Houston and their bats are on fire and who knows, this layoff here, three, four days, is that going to hurt them? It may. We're not going to know until they dig in the batter's box there for game one tomorrow night. But the Diamondbacks are game. And I think this is going to be a Rangers series to win, but I'm not ready to jump on that Diamondback bandwagon. I could come out and say, oh, I think the Diamondbacks are going to win and then they're going to lose in five. The glass slipper will finally not only not fit, but it'll shatter in a thousand pieces. But before I even get into the series, this is one that the powers that be at MLB, Rob Manfred, etc., you knew that they were choking on their Sauvignon Blanc there on Tuesday night, knowing that the Phillies aren't going to represent the National League in this series. That's all there is to it. And they could break out all the pom-poms and talk about how the Diamondbacks are the underdog and maybe even America's underdog that it will probably draw eyeballs to the sets to see a different type of World Series. You're not going to see Philly, Houston, New York, LA, Boston, St. Louis, Chicago. Understood. But if Arizona doesn't get off the deck here and let's say win game one, who's going to be interested? And heaven forbid that if they go to Phoenix, game three there on Monday night where Texas is up 2-0, the ratings are going to be a disaster. Who's going to be watching at that point? Now, as far as the series itself, for what this is worth, they did play twice this year, two two-game series, one in early May and the other in late August, where the Diamondbacks actually won three out of four. They took the two games in their building and split in Arlington. And we understand that that was a long time ago. All right, maybe August, not too long ago, but we all know the regular season and the postseason are two separate animals. But the one thing that sticks out for me, and you have to wonder in a big spot in any of these games, doesn't matter what game it is, obviously when you get later into the series, that's one that you have to really take into account are the managers. And I understand, I just said a few minutes ago, it's easy to want to jump on the Diamondback wagon Because they are the little engine that could. They are the spunky, feisty, not full of superstars. Although Corbin Carroll could be a guy that maybe somewhere down the road 
could rank among the top 10 players in the sport. But even with that said, Bruce Bochy is going to be a key figure in this series. And even though it didn't burn Tory Lovello, the manager of the Diamondbacks the other day, when he pulled Merrill Kelly after five innings and should have gone an extra inning, he can't do that here. And I understand that these managers, especially the young ones, they are going to be tied to the analytics until they're blue in the face. And this is one thing you're going to have to worry in this series, whether he's going to take out a pitcher too early or bring in a different relief pitcher or do whatever to screw up a game. Where Bochi, you know that his finger is on the pulse for every step that he's going to be thinking in his head at any point of the series. And even though the Diamondbacks won a World Series in 2001, we all know that, especially in these parts with the series against the Yankees and the Texas Rangers, their first World Series since 2011. And that was a brutal one as we remember losing that Game 6 David Freeze, the two chances that they had there in the ninth inning with the Nelson Cruz ball, and then even in the extra innings after Josh Hamilton hit the home run, and the heroics there by the Cardinals, Lance Berkman, the aforementioned Freeze. So they are starving for their first ever World Series championship. I think the Rangers are the better team. I can't even say that they're the hotter team, because look at what the Diamondbacks just did in Philadelphia. I think the Diamondbacks will be game. I think they're going to continue to play the way they want to play. They're going to want to keep it low scoring. They can't get into a slugfest. They're going to have to not only get their walks, their base hits, but also sacrifice, hit and run. They're going to have to do all the little things, the small ball, in order to win this World Series. But I think the Ranger lineup and their pitching does match up against the Diamondback pitching. Not to say that the... Merrill Kelly's and the Zach Gallons of the world and even the Brandon Fots are anything close to what the Diamondbacks had in their World Series appearance back in 2001. But when you have Nathan Nivaldi, who knows with Scherzer, and a team that looks like they're going to be relishing the fact not only that they're here, but they know that they're four wins away from a World Series. And you can say the same for the Diamondbacks. But again, the X factor in the series to me is the manager. And if you're going to have a situation where your life is on the line, you're going to choose Bruce Bochy or Tori Lovello, it's Bochy. I'm going to say the Rangers win in six. I would like to see the Diamondbacks win. I really would. But Texas, they pretty much let start to finish in the division. I understand in the middle of August, they spit it up and Seattle took over and then they flip-flopped with Houston And then obviously on the next to last day of the season, they were in first place and had a division in their own control and destiny. And then they blew it on the last day, losing in Seattle while Houston won in Arizona, ironically. But their magic carpet ride, not as big as the Arizona Diamondback one, but I think the Rangers will prevail here and win their first ever World Series title. Couple of baseball notes to address. One is Bob Melvin, who was granted permission by the San Francisco Giants as he was the manager the last two years for the San Diego Padres. He kind of pulled a Bruce Bochy himself because remember, Bochy was the manager of the Padres back in the 90s. Remember, he took that 98 team to the World Series where they lost to the Yankees and therefore parlayed that 
where he moved up the coast to San Francisco, and we all understand from that point on, won three World Series there. Well, Melvin has now done the same pivot as he moves up the coast, and let's see what they'll do, as I'm sure the Giants, they're probably going to go all in on a few big free agents, most notably Shohei Otani, just to bring some star power, to bring box office, to bring something to the Bay Area, which they haven't had in quite some time, and that's a star presence, a star performer, and even though Otani is not going to pitch next year, but just having his bat in the lineup day-to-day will certainly increase the visibility of the giant profile, especially with a new manager in tow. So we'll have to wait and see as far as what the player procurement will be for the Giants this offseason. And then the Mets are going to interview Craig Council, no surprise there. And let's see what happens. I'm not going to riff about it. I won't have any comment officially as to who the next Met manager will be once the pen hits the paper and the name is signed on the dotted line. So that's what we have with the baseball. So game one tomorrow night, game two on Saturday, and with game three on Monday, the next time we reconnect, we'll recap those first two games at that time. Now let me put on my helmet and shoulder pads to go through what's happening in the NFL and college football and a Surprising development that's taking place there with the Niners. Monday night, I did not watch the game. The Vikings were able to beat the Niners there in Minnesota to the point where Brock Purdy, who did not have a good game, had a couple of interceptions there in the fourth quarter and then was known that he had to be put in concussion protocol based on the flight back from Minnesota to San Francisco. The pressure there at 35,000 feet, for whatever the reason, had some symptoms and therefore is ruled out for the game on Sunday where Sam Darnold, remember him Jet fans, will be under center against the Bengals there, 425 there on Sunday afternoon. So the Niners who started off 5-0 and and everybody thought that they were the sports darlings considering that they had lost there a couple of weeks back, their first loss of the season in Cleveland and now having a back-to-back Scenario where they've lost two games in a row and had the Bengals who are coming off of a bye and go into their building. And a lot of people thought that maybe this could be a Super Bowl preview prior to the start of this year. But you have to wonder with some injuries here, even with Debo Samuel and even though Christian McCaffrey has been playing, but there's been some dings in the Niner armor here. And let's see how they respond. Even with Donald on the center, could Donald in that system offense put up the same type of caliber play and numbers that Brock Purdy had. Not to say that there's going to be any quarterback controversy, but we're really going to see how much of a system that Kyle Shanahan has developed to where you could plug me at quarterback and still have the success that the Niners have had all year. So that's going to be intriguing to watch here this week especially because now this is Donald's time to see whether or not he could be That, what was he, number three overall pick? Not to say that he's going to take Brock Purdy's job, but this plug-and-play offense, we're going to really find out for sure whether or not it's the system or it's the quarterback. Now, we understand the quarterback has to make the plays and make the throws and read the defenses, etc., but this will be a big indication to show whether or not this is going to be driven by Shanahan more so as offense than it is the quarterback. And if you ask me, Purdy is more of a product of the system than he is of his talent. And it's not to knock him. That's just a fact. 
So we have that to look forward to this weekend with that game. And the schedule overall, tonight you have Tampa Bay and Buffalo as your Thursday night game. Now the Bills, we understand they have their problems. We talked about that on Monday's podcast. You would think that they would rebound even after a short week to put up a big performance there. And we understand that the Bills, they have to right the ship at some point because any more losses from here on out, and chances are they're going to be in all likelihood a five seed and will have to go on the road to a Super Bowl to win three of those games and not host a home game or even two home games for that matter if they were a two seed. Right now the one seed is looking very bleak, so this is a big game for them. And Tampa, even if they lose tonight, they're still going to be in the thick of things because that NFC South is a just complete disaster. So that is your game tonight on Amazon as far as the Sunday slate goes. You have a couple of games that maybe you can look at and circle and say, ah, all right, this is one I'll pay attention to. The Sunday night game is a disaster, as well as the Monday night game. Let's face it, the Bears at the Chargers, they couldn't flex out of that game. I understand it may be too soon to flex, but ugh, that is going to be an eyesore at SoFi there come Sunday night. And then your Monday night game is Las Vegas at Detroit, and that's no knock on the Lions. It's more a product and an indictment on the Raiders. But besides that, Cleveland at Seattle, not a bad game. I understand P.J. Walker with Deshaun Watson out as quarterback there, but that should be a pretty good game. You also have the Jet Giant, for those who care, here locally. Once every four years, you have a rivalry renewed here with the two teams in town. And with the Jets having a bye last week, let's see if they can get to 4-3. and three. So that's a game that some people will pay attention to, not just here, but maybe throughout the NFL landscape. Rams at Dallas, eh, come on, seriously. Minnesota, Green Bay, definitely not of a couple of years ago. New England at Miami, let's see if the Dolphins can get back on track after that loss there in Philadelphia. New Orleans and Indianapolis, eh, these are games that, let's face it, Philly at Washington, Jacksonville at Pittsburgh, not a bad game, but definitely not a four or five star matchup. So Kansas City at Denver, we just saw them two weeks ago on a Thursday night. So yeah. Slim pickings, my friends. That's what we have here. Cincinnati-San Francisco, to me, is the game of the day. And, again, without Brock Purdy and with the Bengals coming off a bye, maybe I have a decent, whether that be, I guess, Nance and Romo. It's a CBS game. But other than that, you got nothing. So we'll see how San Francisco will perform here and how Burrow and company, as they go out west, to see if they could get over 500 for the first time this year. So to me, that's going to be the game that a lot of people are going to pay attention to and sprinkle in a couple of those matchups that may tickle your fancy or pique your interest, but overall, not a great NFL Week 8 schedule as we get to, and really next week, Week 9, will be the halfway point or past the halfway point of the year, but we, for all intents and purposes, are approaching the midway point of the NFL season. As far as college football, the schedule this week, now I haven't really taken a good look at it. I'm going to get into it in real time, but what we have here is Oklahoma at Kansas, I know is your early game, and you have Florida State, Wake Forest. Obviously, those are matchups that you're not going to really go crazy about. Penn State after that disaster there against Ohio State, they'll host Indiana, so that should be 52-10 written all over it. But as far as the big games, Georgia goes to the swamp at Florida. Could Florida can even be in the game? 
I'm not even going to say pull off an upset, but with the way Georgia has played this year and not knowing 100% on whether or not the Bulldogs will go in there and tame the Gators, but maybe, just maybe, you may have a game in the second half. Oregon and Utah, that's your 3.30 slot there on Fox. Duke-Louisville, I mean, they're both ranked, but nobody's going to go crazy about that. And yeah, it's looking like another very, let's just say, barren college football Saturday when it comes to the schedule. Tennessee and Kentucky, Ohio State and Wisconsin, and we know the Big Ten is a disaster. Vandy and Ole Miss, not a great college football schedule. Even if I were to look ahead, let me just see for the following week, because now we'll get into November. I believe that's where you'll have Michigan go to Penn State. Let me take a look at that. Because now when you get into the month of November, you're going to get a lot of bigger competition, bigger games. You have Mizzou at Georgia, Purdue is at Michigan. So I would think the following week, you'll have Michigan at Penn State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, LSU, Alabama, Notre Dame at Clemson, A&M at Ole Miss. You have a couple of games there. LSU, Alabama is going to be a huge game. Now, Alabama, you would think, because the game is at Tuscaloosa, that they would pretty much do a number on LSU. But Alabama has not been great at home, as we saw there against Tennessee. They were down 20-7 to at the half. When was the last time you saw Alabama down by double digits at halftime and only score a touchdown in the process? So, this week, not good. Next week, a slight bit better. But still, nothing to write home about when it comes to the college football landscape here, especially this weekend as we head into the month of November. All right, now for the first time here in the fall, as I lace up my high tops and we'll go through the NBA as it tipped off there two nights ago in Denver, we saw the Nuggets raise their banner to the rafters, get the rings, and as I said on my YouTube channel, Completed the five-game sweep over the Lakers. And yes, I understand Denver had another series after the Western Conference Final last year, of course. Beating the Miami Heat in five, as we all know. But this being an extension of the Western Conference Final, where the Lakers go into Denver and were unable to foil the championship celebration to put a cherry on top of everything that took place in June. So the Nuggets behind Shocker, Nikola Jokic, and another triple-double. As the Nuggets get off on a good note, you also had Phoenix winning Golden State, so they also get themselves off on the right foot as the Suns look like a team that could be in contention for an NBA final. I understand we're only one game in, so we can't get too crazy. There's still 81 games to go there. But last night, in earnest, the whole season begun where the Celtics won at Madison Square Garden thanks to not only 34-11 from Jason Tatum, but how about 30 points from Kristaps Porzingis, including two threes there late. The season debut of Porzingis, who in a Celtic uniform has the record for most points scored in his first ever game as a Boston Celtic. So kudos to Kristaps. And if that's a sign of good things to come, who knows? That could be a boon for a Celtic team that's also looking for the top of the NBA mountain, considering that they've been this close over the years, making it to conference final after conference final. They won an NBA final there two years ago before losing to Golden State. So that was a good sign for them to get off on a good foot, not only in a hostile environment at MSG, 
But for Porzingis, the team that he was drafted by, that a lot of people thought he was going to be a long-time Nick, ended there terribly, goes to Dallas, then to Washington, and now the enemy is a Celtic. So that was a good sign for him to go into that building and have the fans boo him left and right and to have that type of performance, especially in crunch time, obviously a very good sign. And hopefully that will be, again, 81 games. We know they're going to be highs, lows, ebbs, flows, ups, downs, etc. But if that is any indication, that certainly is a plus on the Celtic side with the way Porzingis played there. And then you had... Victor Wembanyama, even though in a loss, scored 15 points. Obviously, the spotlight is going to be on him to see how he'll perform in his rookie season. The guy who may be the one to carry the torch once LeBron exits stage right. But in that game, the Mavericks were winners. 126-119, where Luka Doncic had a triple-double in his own right. And for Kenyon Martin, I read this or actually saw a video of this. Over the last few days. For him to say that Kyrie Irving is a better player than Luka Doncic. And I understand he played. And he had a long career. New Jersey Nets. Later on Denver Nuggets. And a couple of the teams after that. And maybe he's on the Kyrie train. And this isn't the not Kyrie. But Luka Doncic is arguably. Not only a walking triple double. Not only is he arguably a top five player. But he is an MVP candidate year in and year out. Where Kyrie, although he belongs maybe in the top 15, top 20, but he's not a top 5 player. If you polled the other 29 GMs outside of Dallas, and if they were to be asked, who would you have on your team, Kyrie Irving or Luka Doncic? I bet you it would be 28-1, to or let's just put it this way, the votes would go more in favor of Luka than Kyrie. That's all there is to it. And it was evidence and shown there last night by his performance against San Antonio. But other than that, I'm not going to get into a bunch of other different games. Or I mean, listen, Max Strews scored 27 points in his first game in Cleveland as they beat the Brooklyn Nets. And Strews, who killed the Celtics there in the Eastern Conference Finals, I know I got to let that go, but big performance there as they beat Brooklyn last night at the Barclays Center. But we're just getting started here with the NBA. You have the two games tonight with on TNT, Philadelphia at Milwaukee, Phoenix at LA to play the Lakers. And I'm not getting into James Harden. We understand that he's been sent home and they're working feverishly to see if they could get him out, packed up, and jettisoned elsewhere. So until he lands in wherever that next destination will be, that's when I'll bring it up. So I'll keep it right there. And then you have the NHLs. I lace up my skates. And this is a story that I talked about a lot last year. And oh, do I really have to even start to talk about it this year. And I'm sure the Boston Bruin fan has to be just rolling their eyes to know that, wait a minute. We set the record for most regular season wins and the highest point total in the history of the National Hockey League last year had a 3-1 series lead against the Florida Panthers who were the 8th seed in the Eastern Conference and then blew that series to the point where They gagged in a Game 7. They gave up a goal there late in the third period when they were leading 3-2 and then lost in overtime. And now they're going to start their season 6-0. They're going to tease their fans to the point where, and again, there's still, what, 76 more games left on their schedule. But, yeah, if I'm a Bruin fan, I'd be pissed off too. I'd say, really, guys? Not to say they had to start off 2-4 or 3-3 or maybe even... 
five and one, but to start off unbeaten, to start off perfect, to start and piggyback off of last season's just epic regular season where they meekly went out in those final three games in the first round to now start off your season at 6-0. and I'm sure they'd rather be 0-6 and win a cup or get to a cup final there next summer in June than to start off this way and then go into that first or that late April weekend to say, oh boy, we are a one seed or two seed, had another good regular season, maybe not to eclipse anything that they did last year, But now we're going to see this movie again to where we're going to be heavily favored and all the pressure is going to be on us. And yes, here I am talking about this six months before this even happens. But I'm having a little fun with this only because to start off the way they have this year and based on everything that happened last year, I'm sure that the Bruin fan is saying, oh really, you're going to try to take us down this road again? I love to start. It's great, 6-0, but uh uh-uh. I want to see some postseason success before I can get wrapped up into a dominant or just a over-the-top regular season. And even though they're not the only team in the sport that's 6-0, the Colorado Avalanche are, and they played the Islanders here the other night, and they won 7-4. I think it was the same score that they beat the Islanders last year. Not that that matters. That's just me being the king of useless and senseless knowledge when it comes to sports because this is what I love, people. But with that being said, the Avalanche are 6-0. and And even with their injuries last year with no Gabriel Landeskog and having even Kale McCarr at times being hurt and you had Nathan McKinnon who was out for over a month last year. But they look to be clicking on all cylinders as the Avalanche, who won the Stanley Cup two seasons ago, look to try to get back to that lofty perch. But... Give them credit as they've also been just flying out of the gate. And how can I forget? This is a bad job on my part because I just heard some rumblings from the Vegas area to say, wait a second, Jay Reels. How dare you even bring up the Boston Bruins and their 6-0 start and even to throw Colorado into this discussion where our team, the reigning and defending Stanley Cup champions, have literally flown out of the gate at 7-0. How dare you bring up the Bruins? How dare you bring up the Avalanche? We're the team that needs to be discussed. We're the team that needs to get all the publicity, that needs to get all the attention. We're the ones that are carrying the trophy into this 23-24 season. My apologies to Sin City, to the diehard core fans that are there, and I'll give them credit because unlike the Raiders and the soon-to-be Vegas Athletics, This is your team. This is the one sport that you could say that push the Raiders, push the A's, and even the NBA in-season tournament that will take place there in the early part of December, which I'm sure may get some buzz, and I'm sure there'll be sellouts there, you would think. But the Golden Knights are Vegas' team. So to the fans of that region, my apologies. The Golden Knights should be the focal point. I was just having fun with the Bruins only because of what we saw last year. And here they are riding off a six-game winning streak to start off the year. And also to give Colorado their due too. But it should be about Vegas. It should be about the Golden Knights. There is no Stanley Cup hangover here at least seven games into their season. And you would think that they're going to be formidable throughout the year. And certainly once we get to the early part of spring... 
in the middle to the latter part of April, they are going to be a team to be reckoned with. And I'm sure at that time, a team that's going to defend their cup with a lot of passion, rigor, blood, sweat, and tears. But as we all know, it is way, way, way too early to even unpack that. But kudos to the Golden Knights. Really, I should have started off with them. I just wanted to have a little bit fun, even on Monday when I talked about the Bruins and how they were, I believe, still 6-0. As they haven't played since their last game, which I believe that game against the Blackhawks was on uh, Sunday night. And here they are, I believe, they have a game tonight at home against Anaheim. So let's see if they could match the Golden Knights after tonight when the Ducks come to town. And the NHL season going into its third week, or really into its third week, is on and popping as now we have the fall and winter sports on the map in our consciousness. Yes, I guess college basketball will be in the coming days. Midnight Madness. I'm sure it's going to start pretty soon because I believe the college basketball season usually starts now early November. And here we are now just five days away from Halloween and six days away from a new month. So you would think college basketball, before you know it, will also be a part of the fall and winter sports But we understand a lot of that attention won't be paid to until the latter part of February into early March where you have the conference championships and then obviously March Madness, the tournament, as we'll all look forward to that, but still way, way down the road. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. I truly appreciate your participation, your support. And if you haven't heard my NBA preview, which I put out two days ago, please give it a listen to. I'm sure you'll get a lot of good nuggets from that. As we just talked about a couple of minutes ago, two days into the NBA season. So if you haven't gotten your Basketball Jones, please check that out on wherever you get your podcast, whether it is on Apple, Spotify, even go to the website, jreels.com. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review, you know the whole deal. If you want to hit me up with a question, comment, Suggestion, you can do so at the following on my YouTube channel, at J Reels. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, X, J Reels. One, just the number. Well, the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to send to me, trust me, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. And now, as we have all these sports that converge, whether it's getting ready to crown a champion in baseball, NFL in full swing, same for college football, hockey, three weeks in as I mentioned, and now the NBA with college basketball on deck. This is your one-stop shopping for all that in one hour. And this podcast was a little bit less than that. But where else are you going to get that? Please, I want to know. Because like I say each and every week, the fire, passion, energy, and fury to discuss anything that's happening on the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing, octagon, you name it, is unparalleled. Because when it comes from my lips to your ears, my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, you already know the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.